Hello and welcome to the 8th episode of the FBR Cast. This week I'm joined by Australian author Will Elliott. Sunlight will betray you But I move from shade to shade Stay low, keep your head down Alright, this is a fantasy book review, uh, the interview podcast, and I have with me on the line Will Elliott. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing, Ryan? Um, I'm good, thanks, Will. I just got home from work and I'm still buzzing, so everything's great, everything's fine and dandy. Awesome. Can you start by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, what got you into writing? Um, sure. Uh, well, about me, I'm 33. I live in um, or near Brisbane in Queensland, Australia. I'm a tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy nut. And um, as for writing, I, I guess uh, for lack of other options, I ended up writing. Um, I wrote stories as a little kid and... Uh, as a teenager, but I mean, it was just kind of like a hobby or a, another game, and I started taking the the practice more seriously uh, in my sort of early twenties, um, and uh, probably from about 2002 onward, I started writing novel-length manuscripts. Um, and it took quite a long time, well, not a long time, I guess, but I, I spent all of my time doing it and had a lot of hours um, getting <clears throat> getting the work up to sort of near publishable standards so I mean I, I guess I haven't been doing it uh, for many years compared to other authors out there but I spent it was a very intense uh, process um, usually spending uh, you know 24 or 36 hours straight writing and sleeping for you know, 16, 18 hours and just I kept that up for um, a number of years just sort of sprinting a marathon kind of thing wow so is that uh was that hard on your body at all, uh, trying to maintain yeah. those sorts of hours? Um, doesn't sound very routine. No, it was, well, it was hard on my mind, I think. <laughs> you know, a lot of cabin fever and sort of, you know, delirious trains of thought um, and a lot of caffeine and, yeah, it probably wasn't, it's not particularly healthy, I guess, but I mean, I just sort of, whenever I've had a book in progress, I've always gone about it that way, just absolutely uh, living and breathing the book. And obsessing over it, and um, sort of unable to rest properly until it's complete. You know, until each draft is complete. So you know, I've just always had this sort of intense, uh, intense routine. And are you still like that? Is it still like that for every single book? I'm thinking of getting back into that. I sort of did things a bit more placidly and uh, and calmly with um, with a trilogy I wrote, but uh, I think the results probably. Um, weren't really uh, my, you know, the sort of fiction I should be writing. Um, so, and that was a sort of more sedate process. It was still f- fairly intense, but it wasn't the way I normally do things because I had other considerations at the time, like a relationship and and so on. So, yeah, I'm thinking about sort of going a bit more um, ballistic again <laughs> <laughs> with the with the writing methods uh, and seeing what comes out. Yeah, well, I mean, if it works for you and you can produce some awesome books by doing it, then um, I, I guess you have to... You know, then why not die at 40, yeah. 
I'll give it a, yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you were a bit of a conspiracy nut. Is, are there many yeah. conspiracies in Brisbane at all? <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the tangled web. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a hobby. Um, I kind of take it as part of the entertainment. Uh, makes life uh, well, adds some sort of point to to life on Earth. But um, I'm sure I'm sure there are conspiracies afoot uh, all over the place. Yeah. So, so you mentioned that you had a trilogy that was a little bit tamer than what you're used to writing. Uh, what what works do you actually have in print at the moment? Um, yeah, there's the Polo Family Circus, which was a debut novel, um, and I followed that up with a memoir called Strange Places, and uh, then there followed a, yeah the fantasy trilogy called the Pendulum Trilogy. Um, which I think I started that in 2008 and finished it last year. Yeah, last year. And, uh, yeah, and then Nightfall after that, which is sort of a return to, to the, uh, more akin to Pilo than the, than the Pendulum trilogy. The Pendulum trilogy was kind of, um, uh, more conventional fantasy. And, um, I don't know that it was entirely a success as far as, um, just the, the, the way it panned out. I mean, it was okay, but I don't think it was really, you know, the type of thing I should be writing. Yeah. I should probably be you know, sticking to the more quirky, uh, offbeat standalone stuff like Nightfall and Pilot Family Circus and, um, and the book that's coming out next year called Inside Out. Yeah, so I've got, uh, if you include Inside Out and the short story collection, which is uh, coming out next year too, there'll be uh, eight books, I think, in print now. So, I mean, it's, uh, and right now I'm sort of trying to conceptualize what's next and, um, yeah, and, and work out. It's a weird, weird process of shifting mental gears to get something new underway. But yeah, I'm sort of trying to toss ideas around now and see what comes out. Yeah, I imagine it would be, especially um, when you're still having to uh, promote your current works and um, do interviews like this for them. So you still have to keep your headspace within Nightfall, but still be planning your next one. I, I imagine it'd be uh, tricky to balance. Yeah, it, it can be. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's a really different uh, sort of gear to be in. I find um, to be in the editing phase and in the in the rough draft phase when you're conceptualising new stuff. You sort of uh, in, in the rough draft, you're um, guided more by intuition and just that mysterious, you know, where does this crap come from anyway type thing. Uh, whereas, you know. Uh, in the editing phase, it's all very cold and, and um, critical, uh, and you yeah, don't really need to be in a kind of fever pitch type men- bunker mentality to be uh, to be editing something. But I, I sort of need to be when coming out with new material and new content. So yeah, I've got to try and um, alter my consciousness again, I guess, and um, and get some offbeat thoughts <laughs> happening. Yeah, that's awesome. So. Um... Did you did you have to write a lot of manuscripts before Pilo got published, or was it a, a process of polishing and polishing Pilo to the point where it was um, accepted? Um, yeah, it was sort of uh, yeah. I think it was about six manuscripts, and um, yeah, that that the debut novel was um, it was yeah about six manuscripts that I'd come up with, um, and. Yeah, ABC Books ended up publishing that, right. and Harper Harper bought ABC Books, so yeah, technically it is Harper now. Yeah. But um, 
I'm sorry, I've kind of trailed off there and um, <laughs> forgot what the original question was. Um, so you're at, so yeah. you're at six, uh, so Pilo? Pilo? Yeah, um, I said Pilo. Pilo. People said Pilo. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that was your sixth manuscript. Um, you yeah. plans to go back and redo the first five or are they just in the trunk and mm. not likely to see the light of day? Yeah, I don't think. I think there are there are several which won't ever see the light of day. There are some that I'm sort of tempted to break down for spare parts um, and maybe use characters and scenes, perhaps in a future book. But I mean, one of them in particular is and I really like some parts of it, but some parts are just um, garbage, and it'll, it'll need to be completely you know, restructured to a point where it'd be um, sort of less effort to write a new book altogether. There is one, uh, someone coming out next year called Inside Out, which um, I sort of reworked extensively over the years, and yeah, I mean that's in effect a new book because I did so much change, did so many changes on it. But um, yeah, I mean most of them I just sort of regard as training wheels exercises. Although at the time I didn't see it that way at all. I fully intended to publish them at the time, but I mean I had all sorts of grand illusions about who I meant to be an author at the time too. And um, by the time common sense finally kicked in, I'd actually done enough work at it that. Um, the sensible thing to do was actually to keep at it. You know, that's how I sort of ended up uh, remaining in the craft when life was uh, teaching me that it wasn't necessarily going to work out the way I thought it would. Has that been a really hard experience for you? Um, I know there's a lot of talk about authors just struggling to make ends meet, um, especially from the Australian side where we seem to get a bit less attention than, say, the international counterpart. I, I imagine if that if this is what you were doing full time for a number of years, it must have been really hard on you. Yeah, and hard on those who um, <laughs> borrowed money from. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah. I mean, it's not an easy uh, course to choose to try and um, make a living uh, as an artist. But um, you know, I guess at the same time, we should be grateful that we're free enough to to have the luxury of choosing something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's the road less travelled, so uh, I'm kind of glad I, I went down that road. But yeah, like you say, it's uh, there are moments when sort of thinking, why the hell didn't I just do that law degree or you know, <laughs> or get any any freaking job with a salary? But there's only one way at the time. The mentality I was in, there's only one way to learn that, and it was by doing it. So I'm not, I don't regret it. But it's certainly uh, not what I envisioned. But um, yeah, no regrets. And, and so I suppose now that you've got seven books out in print and an eighth one coming up. Um, things are a bit more comfortable for you, uh, a bit steadier on the income. And... Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Um, hell no. No, I'm, I'm, I've been about the same position I've been in for a while, but I mean, yeah. you know, things are, are gradually, uh, I think, you know, I'm gradually building an audience and um, there's a bit of a time lag too. You know, if a book, you know, it was published in Australia in 2006. It might not necessarily appear overseas uh, for several years yet. So, I mean, you know, the trilogy, for instance, is sold in in the US and um, and other places, but it's not out yet. So, you know, I'm not necessarily without optimism um, on that front. You know, people are after movie rights for a couple of the books as well. So, you know, I don't really, I try not to think about it too much. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, it's. Is it hard organising all of those international rights? Do you have an agent to deal with that sort of stuff or is that something you're negotiating yourself? Because um, I 
I publish the uh, Nightfall review on fantasybookreview.co.uk and uh, they can't get their hands on a copy of that yet. And so they're, those guys mm. are really interested. Uh, you know, when, when's Nightfall coming out in the UK? When's Nightfall coming out in the US? When can I get my hands on it? So is it is it really difficult to negotiate those rights being in Australia? Yeah, I've got an agent who, who handles that, thankfully, um, and she does a very good job with that. Um, so, yeah, as yet, I mean, it's not... I don't think anyone's bought it yet in the UK. I think Australia is the only place it's in print at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, it was a very positive review, so if that generates any interest over there, I mean, that's, a, that's a positive thing. Um, I think it's been submitted to a couple of places over there, um, but we're waiting to hear back. It's a fairly slow uh, industry, big time lag there, so... Yeah, I'm still wait, waiting and uh, waiting with fingers crossed and seeing what happens, I guess. When you have cases like that with your books taking so long to get out and with this current ebook trend and self-publishing trend, is it tempting for you to um, self-publish to get your books out to those other countries? It's something I've thought about, but I haven't really uh, looked into in depth. I haven't really crunched the numbers and um, and worked out how it would how it would go. I was sort of more comfortable at the moment doing things the traditional way, but um, the short story collection that's coming out next year will be an e-book, for instance, so I'll wait with curiosity to see, to see how that goes. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll see how other authors fare maybe doing that and uh, and wait and see, but at the moment I, I like the idea of having a, a traditional book um, as well as an e-book, so I'm quite happy to see it in, you know, in print in the traditional way. Getting back on to uh, your debut novel, The Pilo Family Circus, um, you got rave reviews from that and uh, I, I see that you won a ton of horror awards around the Australian circuit and that it's been really well received internationally. What What is it like having your first print novel just sell so well or to be received so well by so many people and to win awards and... Is it validation? Is it then filled with trepidation at what you then have to produce to follow up to that? Yeah, what was the experience like? Oh, it was weird. It's, it's kind of hard to encapsulate it in in, uh, in a few words, but I mean, it was it was very strange um, because that happened very quickly. The I mean, I, I just signed with with an agent for the first time with that book, uh, and that was a very big deal. Around around the exact same time that the uh, ABC award happened, so I mean that, that all happened very quickly, and um, and you know publishing normally moves quite slowly. So I went from being this kind of obscure lurker in the shadows, you know, not known by anyone, to uh, suddenly with this award, being told in two weeks I'd be on TV and um, be doing radio interviews. And so hang on a minute, my understanding of publishing was that you know after it was agreed it would be published, I'd have like a year, you know, to prepare mentally for all of that. So it was it was very quick in in my case because they you know they publicised the the ABC Fiction Award on on all the ABC radio stations here. And um, yeah, I mean it was um, for want of a bit of better words uh, a bit of a head. F- and yeah, I wasn't particularly well prepared to deal with it at the time. Um, and I kind of did go into a bit of a a funk at the time and I was actually I'd actually begun working on Nightfall at that point uh, I'd just gotten the first couple of chapters down and sort of froze in the headlights from that point from that point on and I couldn't uh, bring myself to finish it for a number of years yeah I mean I sort of tried to, to hold myself together as well as I could but I mean you know I mean, it was kind of I was kind of spooked uh, to be honest I mean 
uh, some really good stuff came of that too. I mean, it got sent on a, a German reading tour by the German publisher Piper, and that was just an incredible experience. And um, as far as expectation goes, uh, I don't know. I, I sort of already set fairly high expectations for myself, um, and I really don't know what factors go into whether someone wins an award or not. Uh, I just had to sort of try and keep sticking to the formula that I was um, the formula that I was um, uh, working out over the years and um, and hope that other people were enthusiastic about the next books too, I guess. But I mean, obviously, it's, it's an incredible honour and definitely uh, very encouraging. And I'm kind of pleased that that book, people are still writing to me about um, Pilot Family Circus uh, years after, which, I mean, if you haven't got colossal sales figures to tide you over, then that's probably the next best thing, was that the people who do read it kind of remember it and um, probably read it every couple of years I and mean, then that's probably the next best thing that you could hope for as a writer do you think um winning those sorts of awards helps you to get noticed um by the readers outside of australia because it, se- it seems like at least from my perspective here in canberra that a lot of people who read a lot of books in, in australia know who you are but not a lot of people have really heard heard about you at all um overseas is it and i guess the follow-on to that is being able to succeed overseas a big pressure on australian authors and is it considered like a a, a measure of your success yeah i don't know um i don't know as far as awards go how it affects things overseas i mean it certainly doesn't hurt yeah i mean i, I really don't know but as far as pressure goes to succeed I, I don't think so i mean no more than any other author around the world around the western world has to succeed which is basically the pressure of bills needing to be paid i guess uh but you know i mean there's, there's no way near the pressure on any of their artists that there is on our athletes thankfully so i mean you know, <laughs> angry letters to the editor when when people when athletes or football teams don't perform but i mean no one really no one really minds if we fail so that's that's kind of liberating in a way <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a lynch mob forming for that um i forget the guy's name that olympic swimmer who was expected to win gold and didn't and the, the all the sharks in the media were circling around him smelling blood but he came second so <laughs> <laughs> that that's i could do without that kind of uh pressure you know yeah although i guess i wouldn't mind an uncle toby's ad or two looking at the uh content of your novels um you write these amazingly strange fantastical style of uh, novels that a lot of people speculate about the autobiographical nature of them i suppose how much of yourself do you find ending up in these novels as you're writing i would say not much um i'd say yeah i mean i I try not to fall onto fall back onto autobiographical uh material um i just think generally a bad idea to do that if you're not using your imagination but i mean i guess archetypes you hear growing up you know like voices of, of people in family or school or whatever sort of creep into the characters a little like if you have a flatmate who's uh regularly in a bad mood you know that kind of can manifest into a to an angry character like some of the characters in um pilot family circus there was one character in that book uh the protagonist actually who are based on uh, a good friend of mine with his permission and you know some of the settings too the house uh in new farm in that book was very similar to the share house i lived in um but other than that I, yeah i don't know there's not much autobiographical in nightfall for instance um it's 
you know, I've never met any, any characters who are like the, the characters in that book and I don't think I'm anything like Aiden. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, and that's surprising, like, not, not surprising that you're not like Aiden, but surprising to me because when I was reading Nightfall, I, I just felt like, wow, this is, this is so, this is so vivid and the way that Aiden feels about his grandfather and especially at the end, um, all the emotions that were coming out, I'm thinking, this has to have come from somewhere. There must have been you know, family members in who have experienced the same type of things, or yeah, that, that's that's what it felt like. It just felt so vivid that you know, you must have been drawing on some real life experience. Yeah, uh, yeah, a fragments of it, I guess, sort of bleed in, and it can't really be avoided to an extent. You know, um, yeah, uh, I don't know any anyone who. Actually, yeah, my, <laughs> actually, if I say that, I'll, um, can you edit that out? Sorry, I was about to say something that probably would have given things away in the book. Yeah. Yeah, um, I guess all, all of the, like, no author's, um, work, I think, occurs entirely in a, va- in a vacuum. Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard people say that, yeah, authors I really like say that it's, it's not a great idea to, to rely on, 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 you know, on your experience at the expense of your imagination, um, cause it can be a sort of a crutch, uh, and they can kind of, I guess, be habit forming, but yeah, I mean, I guess you, but you know, yeah, again, I'm trailing off and, and sort of going down a, a mental dead end. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> Sorry, man, I'm, that's, that's I'm not I, a professional talker. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I think it, I think it, um, segues nicely into my next question, um, about your about your memoirs that you wrote and the the open battle that you've talked about with um, mm. schizophrenia and um, yeah. I, I guess there's a two part question here that how hard has that battle been and then the second part has your experiences with schizophrenia actually you know, helped with the creative process um, have you been able mm. to you know make positive use of it with with your writing yeah I don't know because I don't know how how the books would otherwise have turned out or even if I would have written books at all if I hadn't uh, gone down this particular side route in life. I guess they have because it's given me sort of a, a different perspective on reality uh, and it might have been useful to um, you know, look at, at quirkier realities which um, which I've tried to, to make in the sort of slipstream fantasy stuff. But that's for the battle with it. I mean, <clears throat> I, I've sort of... I'm a lot more comfortable now with accepting that I'm just going to have a different view of reality uh, than most people have and I'm I'm way more comfortable with that now with uh, knowing that I perceive things differently and perceive things that others do not perceive you know whether or not they're actually there or actually happening when I first started perceiving things uh, differently I was you know 19 years old and very scared at the time and uh, I didn't have any kind of perspective to uh or, you know, or context in which to place these, um, differing views and differing perceptions. Um, I have that now, um, having had time to think about this. Basically, I don't see why I should trust my senses now, uh, now that I'm sort of more back in the matrix, so to speak. Why I should trust them now more than I trusted them when I was, uh, according to a doctor, delusional. The world we live in is, is quite insane if you really look at it. So, uh, Am I to sort of, you know, uh, defer to that insanity instead of my own view of seeing, you know, my own way of seeing things or, um, 
that's kind of you know if you forget where I'm coming from here. Yeah. No, I, I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I'm I'm comfortable now with uh, with having a different view, and and I went through a little phase not long ago of trying to uh, convince everyone else of the way I saw things, you know, and I, but. I've sort of realised that's a futile argument, and um, and to sort of just uh, keep my observations to myself, and um, and just learn what I can from from a different perspective, I guess, and accept that I'll I'll have a different uh, view of reality. Yeah, it, it's it's not hard anymore, but it was definitely uh, it was difficult in my twenties because I was you know I assumed that the default reality was right and understood completely that you know, the way the world should work and ought to work you know, and ought to be viewed. And um, and th- that I couldn't see it entirely that way. I thought definitely, uh, definitely something wrong with me and I had to change my brain, which is not easy to do. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, you know, you know, like in the Matrix when uh, Neo is offered a blue pill and a red pill, yeah. I've kind of taken half of each, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I've con- conformed to the default reality to the extent that I'm able to function in it, but... At the same time, I don't necessarily trust it any more than um, than I trust my own uh, perceptions, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Do you find that a lot of people have trouble interpreting schizophrenia and they confuse it with the whole multiple personality syndrome and other mental illnesses? Or do people, I guess so. Does it make people uncomfortable at all? Or I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I, I feel pretty uncomfortable around people anyway so if, if they're uncomfortable then it's a draw you know we'll call it even yeah i mean i, I feel like a I, i've never really felt normal or that i fitted in here you know i feel like a, a foreigner when talking to people and that i'm always you know generally speaking talking a foreign language yeah i mean you know i, I can't really talk for schizophrenia as a whole because i mean each person's experience with it is is um individual um and you can find a whole different variety of I, for want of better word, symptoms, you know. Um, and I person, personally, I can't speak for others, but I use the terms mental illness mainly for convenience. And I mean, people who've read the memoir, Strange Places, will probably realise that I've changed my view on it since I wrote that book. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't talk for others on, on or, or uh, talk about the experience as a whole, but I would definitely say that it's misunderstood. And that's, uh, you know, I, I think it's up to each person who has been diagnosed with it to decide for themselves if they want to conform to the uh, prevailing reality and be a functional person within it or not. You know, I want to hang around here, so the way things are structured here, you've got to sort of compromise a little, so I'm, I'm trying to do that. <laughs> it must be, it must sound weird, man, to someone who doesn't... No, um, you know. I, 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 read, um, I read this book by Dan Wells called The Hollow City, where his, uh, his protagonist was... Um, schizophrenic and he was um you know struggling with his concept of reality and the problem he was having was that some of the monsters that he was seeing um were actually real so when he was um when he was fully fully delusional comparing that to when he was starting to get medicated and the delusions started going away and then they started coming back even though he was on medication and he didn't know what to trust, didn't know what reality to trust, had no idea what was going on. Um, and mm. that, that sort of book gave me, even though it's a work of fiction, and even though it was written by a guy who doesn't have schizophrenia, it was, at least from my perspective, so well put together and so um, well written that it gave me a better understanding of what schizophrenia actually is. I, 
as you say, it's probably different for every single person, but it, it at least um, clarified a few things for me that I um, probably was misguided about when it when it comes to things like schizophrenia. Well, yeah, I, I don't know how I would have, you know, if I hadn't been diagnosed, I, I don't know how I would perceive it, you know. Maybe I would be completely uncomfortable around someone, you know, in a mental hospital or or whatever, you know. But, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good book, actually. I might have to. I'm looking for something else to read. I might get my hands on a copy in there. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. But moving back onto your work, which is what we're talking about here. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Night, Nightfall is the book that uh, has just come out, and um, we gave it a 9.9 on Fantasy Book Review, and it's uh, one of the books of the month, books of books for September. Um, Unfortunately for all the UK listeners and the US listeners, you you may have to wait a while if you if you want to get your hands on it, um, or you, or you can um, you can uh, import a copy from Australia. I'm sure you, I'm sure you can do that from the harpercollins.com.au website. Reading that, it I have to say is one of the most vivid tales I've read in recent memory. Like every every emotion is so intense, and and yet at the same time. The whole thing felt like it was just like a collection of dreams that are that's come outside of a or come straight out of a dream book that you would keep and on your bedside table. Like, is that the sort of feeling that you were going for? This um, am I am I dreaming? Am I awake? Yeah, definitely. That was a, definitely the um, atmosphere I was I was looking for was a sort of dreamlike atmosphere, but it was sort of a, a careful balancing act because you know if I went too far in that direction. It would just be an acid trip that made no sense to anyone. And according to some reviews, it, it did go too far in that direction. Some people um, thought it was too weird and and, um, and uh, they didn't see uh, the plot emerging. And um, yeah, I mean, they, they weren't. Lit- I didn't actually literally dream these scenes, but I, I was aiming for that kind of feel to it. You know, sort of, uh, you know, when the character wakes up not knowing, you know, the nature of his world or whether he's in an afterlife or whether he's whether he is dreaming himself. Yeah, you know, that that was sort of the atmosphere uh, I, was, I was trying to aim for. I think I can sympathise with the people who thought it was too weird or that couldn't see <laughs> the plot emerging. And but I feel like if you can if you can get past the first what, two three chapters, so we're not talking very far, the plot starts to emerge. I went from in the first chapter being disturbed by the <laughs> by the by the whole by that whole family and. Um, <laughs> To I think it was the was it the second chapter with the soldiers and no mm. third chapter with him in the river and the soldiers they were cutting each other's arms off and um, killing each other and I'm I'm laughing out loud in those scenes to have gone you know, in the space of like twenty thirty pages from being so disturbed to laughing my head off uh, for anyone listening that's the sort of book that this is uh, I I can understand why people think it's a bit of an acid trip but. And another thing, a lot of people seem really disturbed by the first chapters. I, I found them funny, you know. I, I was, I found it more comic than than horrific. But every, all the reviews that I've read of it, people people seem to really be really find it <laughs> disturbing. I can understand where they're coming from. Some unsavory things happen, but yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting for me to see how this, yeah, um, you know, how, how it comes across to other people because I, I can never tell with my my work how other people see it, you know. So it's it's kind of really novel to me to see other 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 see it through other people's eyes. I think what I like about it is that you can take some of these 
scenes like a like an S and M scene um, or a torture scene or something like that, and you apply this sort of slapstick comedy to it. You know, um, mm. you know, Tis but a scratch, sort of Monty Python, yeah, Mon- Monty Python ish, um, except that the guy is um, on a torture rack getting bled out for. Yeah, for his precious, precious blood. And, and he's going, yeah, it's just a day job. That's just what I do. And, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there laughing going, oh, can you, can you make jokes like that? Uh, obviously you can. <laughs> yeah. So do you, do you see yourself ever pulling back from that style of writing and, um, attempting some more, like, mainstream work in the future? I, I wouldn't rule it, rule out trying something more mainstream um but yeah at the moment i'm really enjoying the uh the freedom that spec fiction offers the um you got endless uh tools and tricks up your sleeve you know and you can write something that makes a serious point if you want to but you know use all these marvelous devices and fantasy classic fantasy tools um probably i don't know one of my favorite types of books outside of spec fiction is the kind of um the weird cult classic comedy stuff like uh, The Dice Man or um, A Confederacy of Dunces or um, the work of David Foster Wallace or um, George Saunders. So, I mean, if I was going to try something more mainstream, I'd probably try and do something comedic like that. But, uh, you know, I like I really like the um, the sort of slipstream fantasy that, that combines worlds. And that's kind of the challenge is trying, trying to find a setting that does that, that combines our world with another world. Um, you know, Nightfall uh, kind of used a... Um, I don't want to give too much away, but used a, a device to do that, which I can't probably use again. So I'm going to have to find a new way to blend worlds. Maybe if I run out of ways of doing that, I'll just sort of say to hell with it and write a more conventional literary novel and try and get myself a few grants. Or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoy the, the offbeat fantasy stuff. You know, I guess urban fantasy or slipstream or whatever, whatever it's being called these days. It's, um, still, Hold my attention, you know, at the moment. So I guess I'll keep working in that field. Um, the short story collection coming out is sort of more quirky mainstream than, than spec fiction, but it's still got fantasy elements to it. So I got, I got a question here that's uh, from um, one of the guys at Fantasy Book Review. They um, they want to know if you have an opinion on why Australian authors are so successful at the moment. I mean, we've seen a lot of at least from the UK point of view, they're seeing a lot of um, a lot of guys like I mean, Lee Battersby. He's a West Australian who's just had a book come out with Angry Robot, and um, there's a whole cavalcade of fancy authors, like traditional fancy authors, who are coming through the ranks and mm. published. Um, is it is it like a is it a golden age for Australian fantasy, or is it just with writing being so so accessible now that every, it's easy for everybody to get a debut and we've just coincidentally had some of the better ones. I really, I'm not qualified to answer that. I don't yeah. know. Um, right. I'm not surprised to see Lee Battersby doing well. I really like his stuff. Um, his short stories in particular are very good. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading his, his novels. But yeah, I really don't know. Uh, it could just be a fluke uh, or it could be that you'd have to ask all these writers, you know, what, what got them into it or where they came from, I guess. I really don't know. I mean, are they graduates of courses, you know? Are they... Yeah, I, I'm not qualified to answer. Um, so, may, maybe it's something to do with the net. I don't know. Maybe we're, we're sort of more connected to the to the rest of the world now um, or feel more connected. Yeah, I'm really not sure. Yeah, so are you a graduate of any courses or...? 
No, I'm a dropout. <laughs> dropout yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I yeah, I learned a little bit while I was there, of course, but um, but I, I wasn't able to stay in it at the time. I'm sure there there are courses that, that you know probably give people a lot of benefit, but um, I think you can teach yourself as well, so it's not not by any means necessary. You know, I recommend um, John Gardner's books, for instance. You can learn a hell of a lot from those about writing and about um, the industry as well, even though they've been around for quite a, a few decades now. We've talked about Pilo Family Circus. We've talked about Nightfall. You mentioned Inside Out will be yeah. your, your new release is there and that that's coming out next year through in Australia through Harper again yeah yeah um, I think in October of next year so it'll be it's a, it's a fair way away yeah yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything you can tell us about that uh, what it's about um, what we're what we're likely to get out of it yeah well I've given no thought to um, actually packaging this thing and, and conveying it uh, yeah so I mean all I can tell you is it's probably a similar similar genre vein to Nightfall, um, similar type of, of sort of comic fantasy, perhaps less dark and, and a little more accessible. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what I can even say about it at this point, but yeah, it's it's people who like Nightfall will probably like Inside Out, and people who like Apollo will probably like Inside Out. It's again, it's not it's not like the um, the Pendulum trilogy. It's not like that. So it's uh, it's sort of a standalone, quirky standalone. I think the short story collection is uh, May of next year. I think it's called Happy Endings. That's the working title. So that, that'll be an e-book at this point. And yeah, so far it's just in Australia as well. And I'm sorry my answer couldn't be more uh, salesman-like. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all right. So is there is there anything um, anything else that you want to tell us? Any um, anything else on the horizon, or just anything in general you just want to say before we finish up? Oh, I'd like to thank you very much for the the positive review. It was very gratifying and um, and encouraging to read it. So I'm very thankful for for that review. Not to imply that there's any patriotic bias there, but I mean it was very very good, to, very uh, encouraging to read that. Uh, and yeah, thanks to everyone who picks up a copy. Awesome. Thanks very much, Will, for um, joining me tonight. It's, uh... 9 p.m. now. I'm not, I'm not sure whether you're a, night, a bit of a night owl or not, but um, taking what, 40 minutes, 50 minutes out of your time now to speak with us. So thanks very much. Uh, you can get most of his books um, internationally right now, and um, Nightfall should be on its way soon. This has been uh, the interview podcast for Fancy Book Review. Thanks very much, Will, and um, hopefully we'll talk to you again in the future. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. Now you're stealing horses Anything just to survive Head out for the border Make it out alive